Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 301 of our TIG Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Overcoming Trauma, an interview with Evangelia Vensel. My name is Matt Sabatello. My name is Richard Johannesson. Evangelia had all the cards stacked against her, both before, during, and after Lyme disease, yet she refused to give up and was able to overcome this horrible disease. If you've ever dealt with mold and chronic Lyme disease, Evangelia gives you specific things to do to combat the mold, even while living in a home that's infested with it, so you can make some improvements in your health. Next, Evangelia found this great clinic where she went and received a wide variety of treatment, including stem cells, which she ultimately attributed to getting her life back. If you'd like to learn how Evangelia overcame all the trauma in her life, all of the pathogens, including viruses, bacteria, parasites, and so much more, then stay tuned for this great podcast episode. So without further ado, Evangelia Vensel in Overcoming Trauma. Hey, Evangelia Vensel, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hello. We are excited to have you. This is a long time coming, and we're sorry we had to delay so long in getting you on, but unfortunately, our wait list is getting longer and longer, and you're one of the folks that we've been targeting for this podcast for well over a year. So thank you for being patient, and thank you for joining us today. All in divine timing. <laughs> yes, we, we go where and when the spirit takes us. That is the way the podcast goes. And uh, we're excited to have somebody who uh, who appreciates that that spirit. So, Vangelia, first uh, share with folks uh, where you're currently living and, and what you're doing for work. I currently live in Washington State in Snohomish County, um, more up in the country area of Washington State. I am a creator of many things. I'm a non, everything I do is on a non-toxic natural organic level. So I didn't want to give up what I did before Lyme. So I made the switch and switched everything to non-toxic. I do, I'm a hairdresser, holistic health coach. Um, I create non-toxic candles, non-toxic oil blends, um, things that are basically safe uh, for the human body, um, for beauty, transformation, home, um, I specialize in baking, so um, I was able to come up with cleaner, safer, organic, vegan type recipes for my cakes and cupcakes. Um, anything that doesn't disrupt the cell, uh, I figured out how to recreate those formulations in all the little areas of my life in the career I was doing. So now, after Lyme, um, I'm back doing that stuff, but very on a very kind of balanced level so that I don't overdo myself, but still stay in creation mode and offer safe things for people. Um, and then I also host healing retreats, getaway retreats. Um, I was, the universe gifted me through this whole journey, a awesome log cabin off the grid on an energy vortex called Orcas Island in Washington, where I've been able to bring warriors or anyone that needs to get out of their environments or needs to do trauma work, cellular healing, heart healing, mind healing, um, get them off the grid out of their own environment to be able to focus on that. And that's been such a dream come true for me. Um, just everything that I've been through to be able to facilitate this now for others is is so wild, like, wow, <laughs> you know, I, when you're in that state of bedridden and you think you're dying and you're never going to do anything in life to this, it's like, it's almost like I'm living a dream and I'm like, don't wake me up. Don't pinch me. <laughs> We're good. So let's talk about Evangelia before she came to understand that she was living and working and creating in a toxic soup. And I guess adding to the toxic soup, let's talk about who she was before you, before you had that epiphany. 
talk about talk about where you grew up and what your life was like as you were as you were um, going through your early life and your early. Journey. Okay, um, I I'm Greek, hundred percent Greek. Both parents came from Greece, um, so I'm the first generation born in America out of my family come from a large, large Greek family. Like I'm talking like 50 cousins. I have four siblings. Um, it, my environment that I grew up in as a child was very hostile, very abusive, very loud, um, very neglectful. And I, and I know it wasn't really intentional, but it was from their background and what they were programmed with. So I was always very highly sensitive um, since I don't know, birth. I was just very, I'm an empath. So I could pick up people's emotions and feelings, but at that, at, at a young age, I didn't know what that was and it kind of felt scary. So I would try to shut it down a lot. Um, I endured a lot of um, physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse before the age of 10. So, um, but I was always very, um, very creative and I loved painting and creating things at that age. I was always entering art contests in elementary school. I always was in the school plays. I loved to be animated and make people laugh and smile. Um, and then by the time I was 10, it was like, obviously that's when I got bit by tick. I started having really bad insomnia. Um, I couldn't sleep. I was having horrible gut gut pain and um just stomach pain all the time that kept me up at night but you know at that my mom got sick and tired of listening to me be up all night so she took me to the doctor finally and they said that I was lactose intolerant took the milk out still had the same problems none of it went away but I still till since that day I still don't touch milk <laughs> um, um and then it was I dealt with a lot of bullying growing up in elementary and um, junior high was really, really traumatic. High school got even worse. I ended up resorting to drugs and becoming an addict with all kinds of things just to escape um, the emotional part of not being heard or not understood and kids just chronically using me as some kind of tool to come up with stuff to pick on me, beat me up, rumors. Um, I also, I also experienced rape in high school by an older man. Um, that was actually introduced to me by my own Greek family. So that I didn't know it was wrong at the time, but I was only 14, but I realized after all years later and going through the trauma work that I was really kind of trafficked. And I was, I was, I was raped all that time. All of this stuff was being just plugged into my system, just suppressed and um, unresolved. So by the time I was a senior in high school, I was having desp I don't even know how to pronounce it. I felt like I was, um, what's it called? Desensitized, like I was disparalization. I, I felt like I was outside of myself. I, I, it was like I was in a crowded room. Depersonalization. Yes, I was in a crowded room, yet I wasn't there. And it was like I was watching it and, and it, it, was, it was very scary. Um, and not having the outlet and the support of people to turn to, because when I did bring it up to the school nurse, that something wasn't right. And I felt really kind of dizzy and out of body experience. She just, you know, looked at me like I was crazy and just go back to class. So I didn't necessarily go back home and talk to my family about it because I didn't really have that kind of family. And 
I was already the crazy one. I was already the wild one. I was already, you know, the one that was skipping class and smoking weed and just, you know, all that. I was on the wild side of things, but as an adult and a mother now, I can see why I was coping in that way. Um, and then I, 20s, got married at a very young age, met my husband. I'm still married to now. We've been together 22 years. God bless his soul for holding on to me during all that madness. Um, we had ended up having two beautiful children, which I skipped that part. When I was 17, I was diagnosed with endometriosis because when I got my period at 14, I didn't have a normal period like most girls. I hemorrhaged. I had debilitating pain, um, not knowing because of the Lyme and the infection. It was um, causing major damage to the lining of my uterus. And Western medicine was calling it, you know, endometriosis. So they were telling me there was no chance for me to become a mother that I, <clears throat> that I went too long with the scar tissue and all of that, that I wouldn't even be able to carry or conceive. So that was my first experience of wanting to defy the odds and turn to a, a power much greater than me um, to surrender that and not believe what they were trying to tell me. And if it was going to happen that I wasn't going to be a mother, then I needed to just let it go and let the universe do its job and me get, you know, involved in other things with my husband, just enjoy my marriage. I ended up having two beautiful children. And unfortunately I passed some co-infections on to them. Um, my daughter got bit by a ticket too. We did, I didn't know anything about Lyme then. Um, and I'm the one that pulled it out of her ear which was traumatic because 10 years later, fast forward, I had to find out my daughter had it too. Okay, um, so Vinta, let me ask you to pause there for a second. I want to walk back and go over uh, some stuff with you because I think I think there's there's some, you, you outlined a number of important topics that we need to explore in a little more depth. Okay. So let's let's first talk about um, risk, right? And and risk of Lyme disease. And, and one of the ways that we define risk on this podcast is the way General Stanley McChrystal in his book, Risk, defines uh, the term, right? And his argument is that risk is threat times vulnerability. And if you increase the threat and you increase the vulnerability, you are, or the vulnerability, you are more at risk. So it sounds to me that your childhood was one where you were in an emotionally toxic environment, right? And, and yeah. we, we, we often spend time talking about it. We began this podcast with talking with you about physical toxins, and we're going to get there in a second, but let's talk about emotionally toxic environments and how you were living in a in an emotionally toxic environment at the time that you were bitten by the tick and how sort of risk came together for you between having this immunosuppressive emotional yes. environment and now the threat of the tick bite coming together at the same time. So let's focus back at that time okay. when you were 10 years old. So understanding now that I had already been immune compromised from the trauma that when I got bit, I mean, and, and when I found out it was at 10 years old, I was able to kind of go back in my memory and remember, oh my gosh, my right knee swelled up during a soccer game. It itched for days, but I didn't really get sick or maybe I did, but my mom doesn't remember. And so I realized that my body couldn't co-regulate any other kind of pathogen or, or, or a toxin. And it was just like, after that, it just went wherever it wanted to go to compromise me, um, whether that was my gut, whether that was my stomach, whether that was my ovaries and my uterus. Um, it was. No, eventually you, you also said that uh, your parents were Greek immigrants. 
And I'm assuming they knew nothing about ticks and tick diseases during your childhood. So um, am I right in that assumption that your parents didn't know anything about ticks and tick diseases and you weren't given any tools right. to, to, to avoid ticks and how to properly treat yourself if you did come in contact with ticks? Correct. They still don't, even though I went through it. Okay. Now, talk to us uh, a little bit more about the environment that you were in. Now, I, I want to I know more, not about just the emotional okay. environment, but the physical environment that you were growing up in. Um, were you in a rural community and were you spending a lot of time outdoors? And if you were, do you know if it's possible that you were bitten by many ticks and it was oh, just yeah. the one that, oh, you, yeah. that you found when you were 10 that sort of is etched in your memory, but it doesn't mean that you weren't being bitten repeatedly. Right. Um, I, my dad was physically abusive. So, and when I say physical, I mean, we got beaten like stepped on, kicked, whipped with belts, knocked off, you know, kicked downstairs. I mean, it was, it was bad. Um, and always living in fight or flight that if we were too loud, my dad would do something. Um, so I knew just knowing what I know now, my poor inner, my nervous system was just always in fight or flight. So I had a compromised immune system. My nervous system was always offline. I was scared all the time. Um, every time I'd come home from getting bullied or whatever, I didn't have my mom you know, it was just, it's like, oh, they're just jealous of you because, you know, you're pretty or you're better at them. And that was the only form of support I got. It wasn't coming close to me, holding me, telling me it's going to be okay. I'm so sorry that happened to you today. Let's go talk to the teacher. I didn't, I didn't have that kind of support system. Um, so your parents, your parents are from the suck it up culture, suck it up and deal with it. Right. Yeah. And then I had, you know, my outlet was my neighbors and they were totally opposite than my great family. They were like American family. Um, I could have my friends come over there. Uh, we had sleepovers there, but unfortunately it was, you guys, the most disgusting, flea infested, mold, um, cat piss, cats breeding everywhere. Um, the house looked like a hoard, you know, the hoarder houses where it's like, it was like, you barely could get through it. There was just crap everywhere and it smelled so bad, but it was safer for me to be there emotionally for my spirit, because I was getting heard over there. The parents would let us do talent shows and they'd let us eat whatever we wanted and, and have fun as kids. I couldn't do that at my house. If my, if I got bullied, then it was those parents that were holding me and saying it's okay. Um, but I'm, I got scabies at Whoa. least three times, brought so this to my entire family. My entire family got scabies. We had, um, what's it called? Lice. I don't know how many times. So, you know, you guys are laughing because it's like, well, how the hell do I know it was a tick that gave it to me? Well, how do I not well, know I was just pouring down with toxic mold? No, but you know? part of it is, yeah. So eventually I, I, I think part of it is, you know, you were, you were sort of a child who was damned if you did or damned if you didn't. Right. Because yes. Uh, in one place, you were in this emotionally toxic environment, and in another place, you were in this physically toxic yeah. environment. No matter yes. which place you found yourself, you were in this immunocompromising environment yes. where your body couldn't fight off these microbes that you were, you know, that you were, that were injected into your body from these tick bites and these other, um, you know, these other um, bugs that were biting you. Right, right, and and then and it was just all the time, and so. Try and then when you get the 
you find out about Lyme and you go down the rabbit hole and you're like, oh my gosh, it's not just a tick. Like I want to tell everybody, my sisters that hung out in that house, maybe that's why you have your chronic migraines. Maybe, maybe you, you still, you haven't detoxed that mold that we, we lit like all this stuff, right. That we understand about the, the body. And they're just looking at me like, oh, wow. So this is, this is the perfect label to, to label your craziness. Now you're a hypochondriac. Well, right. but let's talk about that too, because I think it's another thing we need to explore because you were, you shared with us, you know, that part of your journey where you were dealing with mental health issues and they may have been triggered yeah. by a lot of different things. And you, you, you seem to be attributing a lot of your mental health issues, which, which led to you, uh, to your, um, drug abuse, yes. uh, to, to this emotionally toxic environment, but you also had this physically toxic environment, but you also had these microbes in your head, right? Well, I mean, and you I had, you, you I had, had so much... sorry go ahead so so this weekend eventually we, we actually put up a post uh, on our instagram we were talking about the the mental health uh, manifestations of lyme disease right so talk to us about what your mental health manifestations were because you know you were describing yourself sort of as a wild child but you didn't really give us a lot of detail because you 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 you, you shared with us that uh that drug um drug abuse was a part of that that journey, but I'd like to know what the what the what the manifestations were, what the mental health manifestations were, and 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 why using marijuana and other drugs became okay. became a way of of managing so, health issues. When I was, I believe, thirteen or fourteen, my dad hit me so hard um, that I I ran away from the house and went to my neighbor's house, and it was my first experience getting drunk. I wanted the pain to go away. I wanted out of all of it. And so I just grabbed my neighbor's McNaughton and I just downed it. And I remember laying there on the bed thinking that I was floating and that I was finally free from all the chatter in my head uh, and the pain in my body. Um, and so then I started to really think, oh, well, I don't have to tell anybody that I have this thing that'll like, you know, when I really need to tap out and get out of this stuff, um, because I was very suicidal since I was like, I don't know, eight years old, since the first time I got molested, I, nobody wanted to believe what was happening. And so I wanted to die. I, I, I at eight, nine, 10, I just, and then again, suicide has been a very prominent emotional uh, solution for me since I was a very young age. Um, so, so what do you mean by that? Why, why, why are you calling it a solution? And what was the thought process that led you to so the mental it was me being the empath and I felt like I could hear people's thoughts and I could feel their emotions and their energy. And, and my body was always vibrating internally. And, um, I, I, it was like, um, I didn't know if I was hearing voices or, or what was going on. So I couldn't sleep at night or I was always sensitive. I was always crying for other people or, my parents were always, my siblings were always telling me, oh God, you're so sensitive. You're, you know, you're still holding on to that. I was always the victim. I was always, or trying to solve someone's fight um, that I just thought something was wrong with me. That I, I, I wasn't like my sisters. I wasn't like my brother. They would continuously remind me I was an alien and that, you know, my dad had a nickname for me. I was the adopted one or the lost child because I wasn't like, the rest. I was always very intuitive or emotional about stuff. Well, well so, so let, but let's, let's explore that a little bit more, right? Because, because, you know, I, and I know it's hard to tease out all of this from, you know, from the mix, right? Because it sounds like a lot of what you were dealing with 
uh, were were tick disease symptoms. And, and yes, it was like- one of the one of the reasons why you were probably different from your siblings, and the and the reason you were behaving differently than your than your siblings is because you were suffering from neurological Lyme. Now. Let's stay with that. Remember, this is a Lyme disease podcast. We want to focus on those pieces of your journey and not, 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 and tease that out from some of the physical abuse and some of the sexual okay. abuse you were dealing with. Let's focus on those symptoms and, 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 and how you were different from your siblings and whether you believe the differences that were presenting in you were the result of either neurological Lyme or Lyme disease generally. Yeah, I I guess I can only go by the the labels that you know we've we've heard a thousand times. ADHD. It was hard for me to concentrate, hold on to information. Uh, I wasn't stimulated enough in school, so I was always the one tapping or drawing things on my desk or kind of dazing out the window. Um, I was always anxious. I was always hyper. So I, it was too much for people, or or it was opposite. So then they diagnosed me with bipolar, um, but I never had episodes that, you know, manic episodes that lasted a week. And then de- it was just a, a daily roller coaster of I'm high, I'm low, wait, I'm good. No, I'm not. You know, and it just felt so chaotic all the time. And on the outside, they're like, she's batshit crazy. Like there's something wrong with her. Like, and when I mean wild child, I guess I wasn't really technically a wild child, but it felt like I was in the family that I was growing up in. Greek girls don't go to high school parties. Greek girls don't have boyfriends and don't go to school dances. So I did all those things against them and got, you know, my dad showed up at the school dance, found out I was there, embarrassed the hell out of me in front of everyone. Um, I just was trying to live an American life. But you were also somebody who was struggling emotionally, right? And yeah. you know, one of the things we don't focus on enough is, is that <laughs> Lyme disease is a family disease. And the reason we we define Lyme disease as a family disease is not only because it can be passed on congenitally, and we're going to get to that part of your journey uh, momentarily, but also because the manifestations of Lyme disease are are issues that the entire family has to deal with. And of course, you are from a European culture, and you are from uh, you're from a Greek culture, and the and you had um, you know parents who were struggling with this new culture they were a part of and trying to become a part of this new culture, but they also had a child who was having struggles and you probably would have been having these same struggles if you had Lyme disease, whether you were in Greece or in the U S and there was, a, of course, there is this sort of convenient excuse that, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're living this American lifestyle and you're attracted to this American lifestyle. When in fact, you're really just dealing with mental health issues that were the manifestation of your Lyme disease and your parents didn't have the tools to deal with it in the way that you would hope they would deal with it. So let's build that out a little bit and talk about Lyme disease as a trigger for, yes, you know, we, we certainly don't want to excuse any of the bad behavior that your parents uh, were engaging in, but we also have to recognize that Lyme disease is a family disease and that these that, that your neurological symptoms were, of course, very difficult for these European people to deal with. Well, you know, I would like, I would like to have to agree with that because when I did get finally properly diagnosed, the doctor looked at me and said, this very well could be given to you by your mother. How are your, what's the health like with your siblings? And I'm like, well, they're not as bad as me, but my brother's got mood issues and is an addict. My sister's been dealing with chronic anxiety and um, chronic migraines since she was 17. My older sister has RA. My mom has 
fibromyalgia and, and disc issues. And it's just like, and then when I was trying, and when I finally was like, well, then I'm here to change that. I'm here to get to the root cause of that. And I'm going to save my family and we're all going to get better. Right. And trying to tell them like, mom, you got, we've got to be detoxing. I have the MTHR gene. I'm pretty sure all of you guys do too. Like we limeys, we do the DNA testing and like everything. Right. And it's like, I can't, I can't, um, it, it makes sense that it's a family thing because we're all struggling with these different things. I was just the one that seemed like my cup was too full and I was just, you know, Andrea, I, I'm arguing it a little bit differently. I'm not just saying that everyone in your family, because you were in a tick endemic community is likely to have been bitten by ticks and is likely to have been suffering from Lyme disease or have, have, you know, the, the, this polymicrobial illness. I'm, I'm arguing to you that Lyme is also a social disease, meaning the entire family has to deal with the social consequences of the symptoms, right? I mean, it's just, it's just exhausting for a parent to have to deal with all these things. And we've had many interviews on this podcast where families have broken up as a result of the challenges that are presented by, you know, the physiological and the mental health challenges that are presented by a Lyme disease journey, right? And, right. and, and, and some families break up where, where the husbands and wives are divorcing. Some families are breaking up where some children are living with some parents, some are living with another parent because they can't live together. And in some cases, what's happening is you have this frustration building up where you have these violent responses, which is what you were dealing with. So I wanna focus on that piece of it, not the possibility that everybody living in a tick endemic community has the physiological issues, but let's talk about the social issues and how your parents were dealing with you and your Lyme disease, your neurological Lyme disease, and, your, and the mental health elements of that, how they were dealing with that as well. I don't, I, I mean, I don't know what to say to that because they weren't dealing with it. Well, they, they weren't dealing with it well, but they were responding to it in a very unhealthy way, right? Yes, it was, I was always making things up. I was being denied or telling me to shut my mouth, um, that I was going to ruin the family if I, you know, told my truth about being molested. Um, it was just a chronic environment of being neglected emotionally. And the only person I had as an outlet was my grandmother when she came from Greece and she would, you know, stay at her house for a couple of weeks. And she was the only one that would hold me, help me go to sleep, braid my hair, walk me to school, like all those things that are nurturing and feeling like I was that being validated and loved and cared for. Um, but I was just chronically being told I was crazy from my sisters and my brother um, and that well, nobody. But, but eventually, I mean, you, you, you were engaging in behaviors that, again, this is, this is not a proper term, right? But it sounds like you're, you were exhibiting behaviors that were symptomatic of somebody who was dealing with mental health issues, right? I mean, you know, the mean way of describing that would say you're crazy, but that's not really what it was. You were, you were exhibiting right. these mental health symptoms and those mental health symptoms were, Challenging for your siblings, and challenging for your parents, and 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 they didn't know how to deal with it, and because they didn't know how to deal with it, and they were from another culture, you just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, and I, kept turning, I kept turning to the wrong people, making the wrong friends, just trying to find a tribe or a crowd I could belong to, um, you know, and and that was always the the bad boyfriends or the wrong best friends and the wrong crowd, and it didn't matter because I felt safer you know, hanging out with the wild kids that were partying than I did at home. Um, and it was this, the, the mental um, chaoticness, I call it, 
of the emotions and the, it was like, it's hard to say. It's kind of like, I would feel like my brain would go offline and um, it didn't matter if I was under the influence because it, 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 then the excuse was, oh, I was high or I was drunk, you know? Um, well, and, then and, I, and, and, and eventually you were high and you were drunk and that was not a healthy way of dealing with it, but you had right. no other tools available to you, right? Because you were self-medicating right. and by self-medicating you, or, or were, were there other tools available to you? I mean, as you were going through these challenges, did your parents or, or, or any adult in a position of authority offer any tools to you to, you know, to, um, to deal with your mental health and your physiological issues, meaning were you going to doctors and no. psychologists and psychiatrists, or were you just, no. you know, just, just struggling and, 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 yep. and forced to suck it up? I had, I had a school psychologist my senior year tell me I wasn't graduating, that I was on the non-graduating list, but that he believed in me. And that if I dedicated um, time to myself, then I could graduate because my family was all laughing at me. Like, you're never going to graduate, blah, blah, blah. So that motivated me. Plus the counselor saying, no, you know what? You don't think I'm going to graduate? <laughs> Watch this. So I did push myself. I had one, te two teachers in my life that she, I mean, they were like, if you ever lose your path in life, go back to your writing. Your writing is amazing. You bring in, like so much power with your words. And another teacher said, if you lose your way, go back and find those people that need that help that you give, because you're always giving to people in class. And, and here I am today doing that. I wrote a book. I finally got, I'm finally an author. I'm, I'm reaching out to people that need to be heard um, well, in those outlets. Them, uh, we, I promise you, we're going to get to that part of that Sorry. part of your transformation, but we want to stay with these, explore the, the rest of these, the these early issues, right? So let's talk about some of the tools that you were, you were recommended to use by folks who were trying to mentor you through these really challenging early years of your life, right? So one of the pieces of advice you were given was by a teacher who said, use your writing. Now, were they essentially, was that teacher recommending that you journal so you have a way of getting down your thoughts and yes. getting, getting through this? And, and was that a tool that you were using through the, the later portions of your journey? It was a major tool for me because if you go under my bed, you'll see hundreds of journals throughout my life and I've kept them all just so I had a, a place to channel uh, my anger, my emotions, my questions, my concerns. It was very private, like a diary, right? But I was encouraged because I wrote in English class a lot of a lot of stuff that my teacher gave me A's on. She was just like, you need to really pursue this writing thing. You're amazing. So I would write mini stories to myself, take the trauma that I'd gone through as a little girl and I would turn it into a story. Um, and it was a great humbling, healing, safe space for me because no one was judging me. No one was telling me how to feel. No one was telling me it was right or wrong how I was feeling in my writing. And it was me, it was all that. But, so, it, but isn't, isn't journaling, especially the way that you were journaling, uh, just a meditation where you had an opportunity to explore your thoughts and explore your feelings and, and really work through that in a meditative fashion so that you can move forward and get past them. Yeah, it was a form of like self-care. Like, cause I, I incorporate journaling as my self-care now and, you know, I'm not sick, but it's so healing to let out your frustrations on paper, letting them out of the body energetically, writing, speaking, 
all of that gets it out. Um, and when you keep that in, you're just affecting the cellular activity with all the vibration of the emotion. If it's negative, that negative vibration is putting an imprint into your cell. So writing, I always encourage the people I work with and people online to search out their favorite affirmations or things that they want to feel and really look at those powerful words or, and transform it, write it on paper. Um, cause paper and, and release can, can do a lot for you emotionally. So that was a huge, um, it was the only coping mechanism I had that didn't include poison. Okay. That I have to buy talks later. <laughs> and, and, right. And you got that, and you got that from one of your early mentors who, who was offering to you a, a, a tool that you could use to help you through this challenge. Now, another one of the tools you just shared with us was one of your, one of your mentors recommended that you turn to community where you give to a community of people and the community of people give to you. So talk about how finding people who were supportive of you and saw the beauty in you was an important part of your journey as you went forward. Um, there were many, um, I, I felt kind of heard and validated and all the good stuff when I became a hairdresser and I got to work one-on-one -on -one with people and people were telling me their problems and I was a safe place for them to tell me about their marriage or their spouses. Um, that was my way without going to college, becoming a psychologist. I wanted to work with children and all people of all ages and be kind of that intimate person that they could come to. And because I had the belief that I was stupid and not smart and couldn't function in college, hair, being a hairdresser was an alternative. So I got a lot of, um, through that, um, what else did you ask? But it so wasn't. So, let's, so but I'm, I'm talking about, so you, you had this early mentor who said, you know, don't do this alone, essentially. Make sure you're looking back at the people in your life who were supportive of you and make sure you put yourself in, in a supportive environment. Because it is really important when we're going on a journey of like of this sort to find community, right? So and there's an upside and a downside to community. But let's let's talk about the, the, the advice you were given on how you found community. I found community for the first time in 2008 when I went to rehab. That's what I learned what real support and community was. Um, so then when I got out of rehab, I got on Facebook and started really getting out there with people that have been addicted or addicts and recovery. Um, and, but I never really bucked up and shared my full story. I just needed that community of I'm going through sobriety and I need to stay sober. And it was very humbling and help helpful to get on Facebook um, you know, and grow community that way. And then the second time I experienced community was when I finally got my diagnosis of Lyme disease and my naturopath at the time was like, look, you got to find community. You've got to be able to relate to other people and know that you're not in this alone. And so again, I got on Facebook and started getting on um, looking for Lyme groups and stuff like that. And that was explosive because there was just so many. Um, and that was where I decided, you know what, I want to grow my own community because not all of the communities were resonating with what path I was deciding to take to finally heal. So I went on my own and created my own group community pages um, to have a safe space for those same people that were on that same type of journey or um, had gone through the same type of trauma or illness. So that's been really probably the most amazing part of the Lyme healing journey was when I did start growing my own audience and community, I was given the right cheerleaders, the right support system, 
the right people hearing and being able to say the right things to me when I was struggling. Um, so community is really good as long as it's safe, because to be honest, most of those pages weren't safe for me because once, like you said, once I finally got the diagnosis and it wasn't MS and it wasn't all these other things and it was Lyme disease. I was, I was like, Oh, Oh, I got this licked. I'm going to, I'm going to beat this thing and I'm going to beat the odds and I'm going to show the world that I'm not going to be a victim. And you get on those Lyme pages and try to be that person. And all I got was bullied, kicked off, banned, shut up. We don't want to hear your positivity. We're suffering. You're obviously not suffering like I am. And I'm like, wait, I'm just choosing not to focus on the victim suffering and pain. I'm trying to show beauty through the pain. Like we can have a better mindset and, and see, you know, have a better perspective of things to help guide us, our bodies through the journey. Cause it is a very dark, painful journey. So why do I want to sit and just focus on that? I didn't, I wanted to focus on other things on taking our power back and 85% of the community didn't want that. And that I had to go through trauma healing in that too. Okay, so so, and that's the, the next area that I wanted to explore with you because there there is uh, there is an upside and downside to any community, right? Um, and the upside to to uh, you know to finding a community is that it is validating in many ways, right? And it's important to find people who understand how you feel because when in many cases when you're going on a Lyme disease journey, although you may have people around who love you. They don't understand how you feel. They, they have not been through it. And, and thank God they haven't, by the way. Right. Uh, but, but, but that does make us feel isolated at times. So then it is important for us to find other people who understand what we're going through to support us when we're going through that. But then there's a downside to, to that as well, because you have to make sure that you're, as you're going through the different cycles of, 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 of processing um, Lyme disease, you have to make sure, for example, that when you know you're going to grieve, right? It's a part of it's a part of the Lyme disease journey. We've had some folks share with us that you grieve when you come into the community, and you grieve when you go out of the community. And yes. grief, of course, is a cycle, right? Yeah. It's a, and it's a cycle. And if you're, for example, at the anger stage of the grief cycle, and the group of people that you're interfacing with are at the sadness element of the grief cycle, well, guess what? you're not going to be simpatico and you're going to have some challenges with validating one another when you go through that. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, we often caution people about is that because grief is a cycle, if you're not surrounding yourself with people who are, um, who are in the same uh, spaces you are emotionally, that it's right. going to be difficult for either side. So talk about uh, you know, where you were and, and what your understanding was of the grief cycle when you first stepped into the community and, and why perhaps you were having challenges because maybe you had different people at different stages of the cycle and because you couldn't jive. Um, I, I think because I never shared my misery and the symptoms, uh, the, t the years I was being misdiagnosed, I thought I had MS. So I, I didn't feel um, to talk about that stuff until I found out I had Lyme. And when I found out I had Lyme, I, I, I'd had such good practitioners in my life at that time that they were, um, motivating me to do brain rewiring and subconscious reprogramming of my ability to heal and to get rid of the fear. And so I had done that before I got onto the Lyme community pages. So then when I got on there, 
I started getting scared because all I saw were posts of desperate and pain and suffering. And, and I'm just like, I'm trying to be the positive. I'm like, hang in there. And, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, try to stay positive. Your body's much stronger than you think it is. And I didn't get what it was like. I got the opposite from people. Well, but eventually, I mean, again, I said, to- like he said, I was at a different point um, in my journey of understanding of Lyme. I'd already gone through the victimhood um, of a decade of I'm suffering and I can't move my body and poor me and I'm never going to get better. And I'm right. stuck with a disease that could kill me one day. I mean, I remember I was a victim and my practitioners at the time when I got diagnosed with Lyme was like, you got to get rid of that victim or your body is never going to heal. It won't matter what treatments you do. That little victim birdie in your head is going to keep your cells and your immune system compromised. All right, so let's stay there for a second, right? So now it's it's important to make sure that you're finding people who are in in a similar place or maybe, you know, further along in the healing journey than you are so that A, you can model them and it can help to accelerate your process. But you also have to make sure that you're not being emotionally triggered, right? If you're surrounding yourself with folks who are at a different phase or who, who are having a different experience, that's not going to be healthy for you if it's going to trigger you and put you back in fight or flight when when you need to be in that healing. So that, was the grieving. that was the grieving that I had to go through. I was so sad first grieving was I had to grieve the person I was before that I had to say goodbye to her and that I might not ever get that version of me back and then it was I have to let go of the Lyme community because I'm on my healing journey and this vibration is not serving me it is sabotaging me I'm so scared for these people and myself they're bombarding my inbox and and wanting all this you know engagement non-stop and let's it was (laughs) It was a lot. Right. And, and, and you you were not at a stage in your journey where you could manage all of that. So you yeah. had to, of course, you have to turn to yourself and you had to find some balance, right? Where where you could be healthily supported and healthily support others um, on on the journey, which is why community is important. But, you know, we, look, we learned from uh, Yolanda Hadid recently that she had to go on a social detox, right? That she had to stop interfacing with social media because where she was at that stage in her journey, it it became toxic, right? And that's sort of the theme that's developing here in your journey, right? You had this toxic environment, emotional environment during your childhood with with your family and some of the culture. It was triggering. It reminded me of high school. It reminded me of my siblings. And I was like, I would cry saying, but I love this community. I'm, I'm trying to win for them. Like, but I have to let them go the same way I had to let my family go. So when we talk about toxicity and detoxing, it wasn't just my body. Exactly. It was right. Exactly. Right. So, so now let's 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 talk about uh, before I turn you over to Matt. Let's talk a little bit uh, about your 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 diagnostic journey and uh, and your misdiagnosis. So you said there's this window of time. Um, where you're now married, uh, you're you're on this you're on this uh, adult journey. You're separating from your family, but you're physically sick. So, talk about all the different doctors that you saw before you were diagnosed with Lyme disease, and what the different diagnoses you had received. Okay, so it started after I had my daughter. Um, I started getting like fainting spells. I'd get dizzy. And so then I went to the doctor and they told me I was having postpartum. And so then they put me on, you know, the anxiety meds and the antidepressants. And it was like probably two years of trial and error of different pills. 
because they couldn't fix me. I was still like, well, I'm still crying. I'm still dizzy. And my heart still feels like it's jumping out of my chest. So then it was, um, then it was, nothing was working. So then I started doing drugs again. I, I had so much fatigue that I had no energy to take care of my kids. So I started doing cocaine. I had a client that would come get her haircut instead of paying me, she'd give me cocaine. And so I'm like, well, God, you know, nobody knows I'm high. I can be superwoman. So I was just doing what I needed to do to clean my house, take care of my kids, be mom, do hair. And that got me to rehab. <laughs> and then I go to rehab and I get sober only to have, you know, my body start really sharing with me what it felt like to have Lyme uh, without the drugs, without things being muted and numbed. So then I became an addict for the pharmaceutical industry. Then I was bipolar and I had ADHD. And, you know, this is why you're an addict, Evangelia. This is why you were using cocaine and why you were sad. There was no, you need trauma work. You need, no, it was neurologists. I saw like 10 different neurologists. I was having, <clears throat> I got out of rehab and I started having these like weird buzzing down my arms my, my, my foot, my hand would go numb. It would just go limp or my, or my fingers would get locked like this. Um, so then I started seeing chiropractors and, and then take me to a neurologist and then I would get an MRI and then I got another MRI and then it was an infectious disease doctor. Um, and then it was an arthritis doctor. Um, then it was, I was being diagnosed with fibromyalgia, RA endometriosis, possible MS in the early stages. Um, mental illness, bipolar. I was on 13 different pharmaceuticals for every single symptom. I had a pill. So I became an, you know, I went from being a street addict, right. To, I felt like a pharmaceutical junkie. Um, and then it all went to shit when I got in a tiny little fender bender with my family that, that ended it. My cup was full, too much trauma already. My body was already trying to cope regulate bacterias, infections, trauma, emotions, getting a little fender bender. Didn't know I had a condition called Chiari malformation. Didn't know we had toxic mold in our environment. So all of a sudden my body becomes this can't handle anything toxic. Couldn't handle food anymore. It couldn't handle loud noises anymore. I couldn't move my neck and my back for like six weeks. I was stiff. Like there was a bar stuck MRI after MRI after doctor after doctor. And it took one chiropractor to look at an MRI and say, you have Chiari malformation. And I'm like, well, what the hell is Chiari malformation? And he's telling me it's a condition that my brain never fully healed completely. It never connected. So I've got nerve endings from my brain going all the way down into my spine, into my neck, all the way down my spine. And he's like, this is why you have all these issues. Um, and then all the pharmaceuticals, I started having Parkinson like tremors because as a hairdresser, I was taking in all these metals and chemicals and the chemicals and metals from the pharmaceuticals. So then they started diagnosing me with early Parkinson's and early dementia because I couldn't remember anything. I, I would be down the street with my kids in the car and I had to pull over because I didn't know where we were for at least two, three minutes. My, it was like, I literally didn't know where we were. And then my brain would get back online and I'm like, holy crap, we're just down the street. 
so eventually we you know we can we we're watching this train go down the track and we're, we 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 see the we see the train getting ready to hit the wall where you have this emotionally toxic environment during your childhood you add other toxins to this environment because of the the place where you're getting your outlet was 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 physically toxic uh-huh. you have all these uh drugs coming into your body you're 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 working as a hairdresser and we recently had a um we recently had a podcast where uh we had uh, a guest who was a you know a a, a um she's a hairstylist to the stars uh but she's getting very very sick because of all the toxins in the yes. you know in the in the um hair care products and the uh and the uh and the different facial products that she she's right. using um you know so yeah i mean look we see the train coming right i mean you are just this toxic physically emotionally toxic mess and then you get into this accident and that's when everything crashes right where you really like mind, mind body spirit were totally disaligned like just separated completely well your, uh, your body your body said no right yep, and that's what happened last piece it said no more i'm sorry i love you but i can't do it anymore so then um so pause there pause there your body says no how do you get from there to your Lyme disease diagnosis? How do you finally get to the diagnosis, which is at the root of all of these different symptoms and at the root of all of these misdiagnoses? Um, I get a few months later, I go see my doctor. I'm having fevers. Uh, he tells me I'm having the flu or an infection. So he gives me the vaccine, a flu shot. And all those symptoms that I came in to have lasted five years, chronically, chronic fever, chronic diarrhea, chronic fatigue, chronic, no ability to move a lot of things. And so let's fast forward. That was four to five years of that existence until my husband forced me to go to my high school, 20th high school reunion, just to get out, just to see if maybe I could connect with somebody. Cause I was bedridden. I just laid in my bed and watched Netflix, took my pills. Um, I go to my reunion and I reunite with an old friend and we're sitting there talking and she's seeing me get into my purse to take all my pills. And she's like, do you mind me asking what's going on? Like, why do you need all these medications? And what, you know, and I was like, oh, I have possible MS, fibromyalgia. And she just looked at me. She grabbed me by the shoulder and she goes, no, you do not. And I said, what? She's like, you have Lyme disease. And I was like, what the hell is Lyme disease? You know, like I never heard of it before. She's like pulling out her papers and she's like, you need to go see this naturopath and, and let her do real testing on you to figure out how far along you are in it. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just, my mind was blown. And my husband's, you know, that's quack. We're not going to go to a naturopath. They're quack. They're just going to take our money. So I sat on the, the decision of seeing her naturopath for six months until my symptoms got so bad that I was like, I don't have anything to lose. I'd love to hear what this woman has to say. I'd love to see what kind of special woo-woo test this lady's got, right? So I go and make the appointment and she had all the blood work done. She did a bunch of body talk, kineology with different bugs and all this stuff. She was just talking to my body, talking to my body. After an hour of testing, she looks at me and she's like, well, um, you have late stage Lyme disease. And I was like, 
but what? And she's like, you have a tick-borne illness disease on top of EBV, on top of you must be living in mold that's toxic. And you have emotion overload of toxicity. Like you have so much trauma and emotional healing you need to do. Um, and she's like, it'll take two to three years for me to get you well, but I know I can get you well. Okay, and pause that, pause that, pause. Okay. So let, let's, let's now go back to what we call the sister science or the bro science, right? Where you're, you see a friend, a high school friend at a reunion for the first time, right? And you've been to scores of doctors who have given you scores of diagnosis and tons of pharmaceuticals. And the minute she sees you, she says, you've got Lyme disease. You now go to a competent doctor who tells you, yes, in fact, you have Lyme disease. Now, how, do you, how are you feeling at that moment about your friend who is able to see in you the symptomology of classic Lyme disease when no one else before her had been able to see that? Uh, it's because she had Lyme disease. But how did that make you feel? Saved, heard, validated, seen, just all of it, all of it. And then, you know, going, then you get online, you start reading about it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my life. This is exactly why didn't one of those doctors ever mention Lyme disease. So I tested that. I went to, back to every single doctor and they all told me it was a conspiracy. Oh, there's no such thing. And then one neurologist basically shooed me out of her office when I basically gave her the finger when she wanted to offer me immune therapy or chemotherapy for my swoke called what my lesions and MS was. When I'm like, no lady, these lesions are actual parasites and I'm going to get them out and I'm going to prove to you that I'm not going to be this person that you think you know. And I did. I proved it to him a year later. I'm like, I'm no longer sick anymore. Um, okay. Well, let's not get I'm there yet. Let's get there. So now, so you, you now have your naturopath and, you, and, and the naturopathic doctor is treating you differently than anyone else. You're feeling heard. You're, you, you know, you're, you're, you feel like she's communicating with your body. My husband wasn't on board. That was very well, hard for me. My husband right, well, was. Let's, let's not focus on, on the social issues there. Let's focus on the doctor. I, wanna, I just want to stay with the okay. doctor. Because you're saying that this was a very different medical experience for you. It was a natural. Because the doctors that you were treating with before were not listening to you. The doctors who you're treating with before were using different tools and they were coming to different conclusions. What was the difference between the naturopathic doctor that you were treating with and all the other doctors that you're treating? How was this doctor different? She wouldn't give me any answers or anything until she did all the lab work. She took my body and made it into like this map and she laid it out and connected all the dots and looked at all the infections and the effect toxicity load things. None of those doctors ever did. They would just kind of turn the camera to WebMD and type in my symptom. Oh, it sounds like this. And then they would give me a pill. And going to a naturopath was like, we need to get you off the pills. We need to get your body chelated from all these toxins, like an onion. She was like, you're like a layered onion. We got to start, start at the top before we can even get to the bottom of why you're this sick and addressing all my relationships. She's like, what are your relationships like? How is supportive is your husband? What are your parents like? Like not one doctor asked me 
what my relationships were like. And then the naturopath is like, we need to work on your environment. You've got mold in your environment that's compromising you and not allowing your body to do anything with the Lyme and the spirochetes and the EBV. And I'm like, what? If not one doctor mentioned environmental illness. Well, Evangelia, did, did any of the other doctors spend as much time with no. you as this naturopath was, was spending? No, it was in and out, in and out. And then if you questioned them, it was like this, I call it this very dark satanic type of witchery behavior they would put up on you where you felt little and they had all the answers and they were the savior. And if you were like, no, you're not going to save me. You're wrong. Or I'm questioning, why are you giving me that? And they're like, there's the door get out. And I'm like, what is going on? So that's what, you know, you go down the rabbit hole of how sinister the medical system really is. So one of the things that we see is different in some cases with naturopathic doctors um, is that they are looking more at the symphony than they are at particular symptoms, right? They're looking at the whole body, right? They're looking at the whole environment. But another thing that we see um, is that generally they spend more time with you, right? And they're really looking to develop an understanding of the whole picture as opposed to looking at a symptom and treating a symptom, right? right. But you know, part of that, of course, is that in the traditional medical system, doctors who are being controlled by insurance companies are given a very short amount of time to meet with you, to diagnose you, and ultimately to treat you. And that is one of the biggest failures of the modern American medical system, where there's just not adequate time for the practitioner to do what practitioners are trained to do. It's, I call it in my book, a stay sick management system. Because when I finally made the switch to naturopathic care and alternative healing, and it was like a way out of being sick. Western medicine was just like a really great potion to keep me sick as I'm dying without all the pain. And then if I didn't have the medicine, then I was like stuck in this inhumane um, existence. So the naturopath was like, we're going to get you out of that existence. Um, But it got so expensive and um, the IVs, I was so sick. I couldn't, I I was the only one supporting myself. My husband was working all day, so I didn't have him taking me to my doctor. I didn't have a friend or a caregiver. So I, had to get myself to the naturopath twice a week to get IV therapy, uh, you know, the glutathione IV or a nutritional IV, vitamin C. Um, that wasn't realistic. It was like we were going broke and I couldn't just do that every, every week. You want me to come back and do this to stay alive? I'm not feeling any better. I might feel a little bit better that day, but then I'm herxing for like three days after. Basically, I want you to hold on to that for a second because Matt's going to explore that with you. I want, I want to explore one more thing with you before, before uh, Matt begins um, you know, his, his element of this journey with you. And that is, um, you said that you began to research differently after you got your Lyme disease diagnosis. Um, were you doing any research before you got the Lyme disease diagnosis? And did any of that pre-diagnostic research lead you toward uh, a Lyme disease diagnosis? I was not doing any research on fibromyalgia or MS or food 
or the organs. <laughs> like I didn't begin doing any of that until I made the switch. And I started getting online and going to Pinterest and learning how to open up the path detox pathways and how to release parasites and how to get the nervous system to calm down. Like there were all these things that I didn't even know existed going down to me. It was called going down the holistic rabbit hole of all these amazing ways that we can give the power back to our own body to support it, to clean it out. Um, that's yeah. I, I was, I, I wasn't honoring my body at all. Period. Like once I went to the holistic side, it was like, I'm going to buck up and I'm going to honor my body as a sacred temple. Like I never have before. So Vigil, gonna, let's start right there with that naturopathic okay. doctor. I want to get really detailed and sequential here with you with what you did with your naturopath to attempt to treat the Lyme, the mold and the EBV and all the other things you now know you had going on in your body. What was the first step? Once you went to your naturopath, what was there a test? Was it muscle testing? Was it hygienics or a blood test that you got diagnosed with? I did. Um, well, it was more of the muscle testing that diagnosed me because she told me that um, the CDC wasn't going to give me a positive. Yep. And so she ran the bands and she saw that I basically marked off every single band for Lyme, except for Lyme. So she knew even through the body talk, she had like, you know, um, Dr. Klingart has these, these things where you can test the body with every single infection, every tick-borne illness. So she had them and you place it, she'd place it on the body and muscle test me if this was what I had. And I, that, I mean, everything came back. So eventually what's no, everything. So, so Lyme, EBV and mold, what else, what else is part of the picture here? Heavy metals, um, radiation and, um, like, uh, emotional, it was like, uh, emotional molecules or something she called it. I had like an overload of suppressed emotions and stuff. Um, but I didn't, get to prove that to anybody in my life until I let a doctor in Mexico prove what the naturopath here was saying on a dark field microscopic test. So I got to see every spirochete, every metal, every toxin, every cancer cell on a flat screen. Well, we're we're going to get to that eventually. So let's <laughs> put that off to the side. Cause okay. I mean, 99.9% of our listeners are going to believe the fact that you were muscle tested with these things because we know muscle testing is valid. You know, the, yeah. The more mainstream may question it, but we'll get to your proof that you have a little bit, in a little bit. So what was the first thing you did to now you have mold, heavy metals, Lyme, EBV, radiation, emotional trauma, and your naturopathic doctor says, all right, you're really sick of Angelia. I'm going to do what? What was that next step to start treating you for all these things? She started giving me herbs um, to help what open. What kind of herbs, you know? Oh my gosh, they were tinctures and they were they were tinctures and they were really gross. And I forgive me if I don't know all the names to them, but um, there were concoctions for Lyme and, and EBV. Um, and how did you feel when you started the herbs? Where did you feel worse, better or the same? Oh my God. I thought I was dying. Um, and then she was having me do detox baths and dry sauna, which, which is, was so insane because it was so painful and so discouraging to go into a dry sauna room and be the only woman in the sauna that can't sweat. And I was having like my brain and my, my, my head felt like it was just like going to explode. And I'd email my doctor and she's like, Evangelia, this is totally normal. We need to break through that barrier because your lymphatic system is so freaking congested that it doesn't even, you, we need to wake it up. This is the pro process. It's not going to be fun, but 
We're going to take it, you know, step by step. And the were you on kill herbs at this point, Evangelia? Were these, were these herbs more detox herbs or were you on any antimicrobial herbs as well? Yes. They okay, were so more about detoxing and then binders like charcoal and, um, so you, were that, you were that toxic though. So you were on mostly detox and lymphatic yeah. support and you were doing these saunas and you could not get your lymphatic so, system going. Right. You could not get these toxins. That's how toxic you so were, I, correct? Yeah. So then the, I wasn't making much gain, um, progress. And then we, she decided, you know what, none of this is going to work if your house is filled with mold. So then we had to go through the barrier of getting my husband on board to hire a mold guy to come check out the house. We had it. We had four uh, no three or four toxic molds out of five in every single room and the spores and the carpet but not in the walls so um she's like i'm sorry but i'm gonna we're gonna have to stop treating you until you get this done or you're gonna have to move out and if your husband doesn't get on board either you're gonna have to leave him or you're gonna have to find somewhere else to live well, and, why um, evangelia because if the mold is there and it's that bad that you're wasting your money on the treatment because yes. the mold is going to keep you sick correct yeah okay. it's like you're die in that house and I won't be able to do anything about it because you're still chronically exposing yourself to this. She's like, all this herbs are just going to go down the toilet because your, your immune system is going to be constantly hit of trying to fight something in the environment while you're trying to take something to combat it. So it's like, you're going back and forth like a hamster, right? Yeah. So that is one of the most pivoting points in my journey and a, a obstacle. I try to tell people that are hitting, I'm like, look, dude, you need to check out your environment first or all that money, all the treating, all the herxing is going to do nothing because you're still going to be exposing yourself to mold. So that took us a year because we couldn't afford a mold, um, a, a floor company. So my husband did it all on his own. But did you stop with, the herbs and everything until you fix the mold? Yep. I stopped okay. everything. I went on Pinterest <laughs> and I started doing coffee enemas every single day. I bought my own dry sauna. Did they help? So Talk us about coffee animals. Were they helpful at all? Um, they got me out of being bedridden. Okay. Which is, uh, that sounds like a pretty big improvement, right? If you're bed bound and you get out of bed, that's, that's a nice, down. that's a nice step, right? And it got, it got down, it got rid of my parasite infestations. It got rid of my candida overgrowth. Um, so I became really religious with the coffee animals. I was like, okay, I'm going to create myself a regimen. I'd wake up. I pre-made the coffee for a week. So I had the coffee available for me because I was debilitated. And then after two weeks of doing it, I was like, oh, and I was like moving around. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to stick to this. And then I started going further down the rabbit hole and started mixing certain like high alkaline foods. I was only sticking to high alkaline foods, um, making sure that every single day I did some form of um, opening up my lymphatic system. And this is before the mold was fixed, right? So this is now yeah. you're just doing all this while waiting for the mold to be fixed. And you're, and you're finding these hacks to make yourself feel better, correct? It was anything to keep my body in detox mode while there was still toxicity in my environment. So you were um, detoxing the mold as, as efficiently as you could until you got rid of it. Talk to yeah. us about the foods, the foods that you were finding to help with the detox in addition to the uh, the the coffee animals you were doing. Um, just, I was juicing um, raw press vegetables and juices like broccoli. And I was taking a lot of turmeric and garlic. I was doing the craziest things like right before an enema to kill parasites. I would take a shot of apple cider vinegar, a shot of crushed down pumpkin seeds, um, garlic clove, fresh garlic clove. And I mixed it all together. And I took a shot, waited four to five minutes. And I, you guys, I shit you not. I saw 
I mean, I almost made my bathroom into a poop lab because I was collecting all the parasites. I was proving to my family and myself, oh my gosh, these things are coming out of my body and I'm actually starting to think again. So I couldn't go to Mexico for treatments until my doctor's like, look, you can't go over there and hit it hard with, with IV treatments if you still have mold in your environment because it was too expensive for me to do the IV treatments here. And so I waited a year. I detoxed myself every day. But you made progress. You were living in mold and still made progress. Oh, I think this yeah. is a really, eventually, was, this is really important. I want to focus on this for a second. You I, were living I, in a, in a moldy I, house, right? And you, and you still found ways to feel better despite living in a moldy environment. Because I know oh my God, this yeah, is an important topic water, for many people. I was doing water colonics at home. I was mixing um, filtered clean water with like a pinch of pink salt with a tablespoon of uh, baking soda. And that was clearing out all of this candida. And so I was doing the opening up my pathways with the dry sauna, the coffee enema, because the coffee enema was opening up my liver. Did you start metal. to sweat? Did, did these other things help you start to sweat in the sauna? Yeah, the, the, the detox bath at night um, was to help me remove the metals. And I couldn't believe that the first five minutes of sitting in the bath, I wasn't even fully emerged in the water. I was just kind of in it. And it was like, all of a sudden, I'm just sweating. And I just... Um, I just started to make more gain because I was a lot, my body started to finally detox. I hadn't been detoxing my entire life. And how and are you feeling as you were detoxing? You said you gained some mental clarity back. What else was changing in your body as you were detoxing? Um, my fatigue, my energy levels, <clears throat> my, my, my numbness, um, in, in my fingers and in my left side of my body, it was almost like the tingling. It was coming back to life. Um, I, my eyesight was getting better. I wasn't getting all these weird clogged like stuff from the parasites and the par and the, the, the mold. <clears throat> my head pain, oh my God, was so much better. It was like, it really was that moment that my lymphatic system and my liver said, okay, we're working. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for staying consistent. We're going to get you better. And it was that and going through the inventory of all the people that weren't supportive and believing of me, I got rid of them. I said, well, I'm going to detox people too. And it so was this, like, this is lifestyle detox, yeah. not physical detox, right? This is social it detox. Was, so talk to us about that. What did you do socially now to, to help your body support the healing that needed to come? Um, socially. Correct. Yeah. Socially. I, what did you do? So I, I, I deleted all the great, the people that were questioning and didn't believe in Lyme. Um, I, stopped interacting and engaging with friends and family that didn't believe in Lyme or believe that I was even sick. Any, anybody that was toxic that didn't want to support or believe what I was going through, didn't have, I didn't have time or space for them anymore. So I, when my naturopath was like, Evangelia, I need you to detox. And I, and I mean, your body, your mind, your relationships, and your environment. If you do not get that right, and, and replace it with nourishing people, nourishing food, nourishing environment, I don't know how this journey is going to go for you. And I'd never been told that before. So you were doing everything you could with the exception of the environment while you were working on figuring out a way to get rid of the mold, right? So as you were detoxing socially and you were reducing these people from your life that were causing you stress and causing you all of this grief, would you feel that that also helped you jumpstart your detoxing and your immune system as well? Do you think there's a correlation there as strong as people 100%, suggest? A hundred percent over and over again, because at the time I was engaging with chronically sick people that chronically wanted to stay sick. None of them really had the attitude. I'm going to punch this and I'm going to get better. And I was coming at it like, Oh, I'm not going to settle. I'm going to get better. 
So I, I had to get rid of the victimhood mindset people and replace them with the warriors that were like, oh, we're going to overcome this. Watch me. We're going to support each other. And we're not, you know, we wanted to defy the odds. So I surrounded my people. Follow, I started to follow new people on social media that had overcome Lyme or overcome obstacles. What did they do? How are they in, inspirational people, basically? Because it's who I wanted to be. Eventually, so, I just, I just want to make one comment because yeah. so many people listen to this podcast have reached out to us on a regular basis and say, I live in mold and I'm not doing anything because I know if until I address the mold, I can't get better. And although your naturopath told you, hey, look, you're not going to be able to fully heal until you address the mold, you said, hell no, I'm going to still take steps to improve my health. And while living in mold, you made significant health gains and then yes. addressed the mold and then got to remission after that, right? So yes. I think you're a really good example to prove to people listening to this podcast that just because you may not be able to get out of a mold environment or maybe because you're exposed to some environmental toxins because you're a hairdresser, like we've had other people on this podcast that reach out to us on, on DMs as well, those toxins don't mean you can't heal. You can find ways right. like you did. And I think it's a really important lesson I want to keep bringing back to the surface here because you overcame all these obstacles. And you said, I don't care what the odds are. I'm going to do it anyway. Right. So keep yeah. talking to us about what you were doing right up until the time you got the mold remediated so, in your home. The mold pages were really difficult because I was going against their, their belief system that, Oh my God, eventually you're going to die. Oh my God, your machine that you just bought from Costco is not good enough. You're going to recontaminate. They kept telling me I was going to, if I moved my machine into another room, I was going to recontaminate the machine. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? The machine is 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 helping air out the spores. It doesn't get re-exposed. Like where where is this coming from? I'm like, I can't. They Do you were, remember they the were, air the the air purifier you bought? Just some people may want to know which ones you. I'm oh sorry, my, to put you on the spot. Do you recall? I think, called, I think it's called Wix, and it's okay. from Costco. And I I had to do what I could do with the finances that we had, and I kept trying to tell the community that like, look guys, I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And what I can do, I don't have the option to go move somewhere else. I don't have a tent in my backyard. I don't. But well, you didn't give up. You kept right. fighting, and you got better. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to prove that I can make it to the other side while I'm still living in it. Because in the end, I'm not going to have the mold in my environment anymore. They were telling me I had to throw away all my clothes and all my furniture. Well, I'm happy to tell you, four or five years later, I still have all my clothes. I still have all my furniture. I didn't have to get rid of a damn thing. And well, I'm not let me stop you there. Oh. Why do you think that is? Because you think that there's, there are, there are minor traces of mold spores on your soft surfaces, like furniture and things like that, but your immune system and your body is strong enough now to detox yes. it out upon exposure. Do you think that's what it is? Or do you think that the mold well, just, just left it? You know, what are your views on no, that particular topic? I, I, there's many components. Like I had to do brain rewiring because even though after the mold was removed and we got it tested and the house was fine, I was still like going back to crazy. I'm like, oh, there's still mold here. Oh, I can still feel it. Oh my God, oh my God. And my husband's like, babe, we just got it tested. There's no mold in here. And so I go reach out to my alternative practitioner. She's like, you got, okay, you're ready. You need to do brain rewiring. You, I need to let go of these old beliefs of things that don't exist anymore. So I had to rewire my perception on a subconscious level because literally guys, my whole body would react before I even walked into my home. Like it was this fear of, oh my God, there's mold. I'm going to get sick again. I don't know. It was my mind. holding. No, no, no. I can relate to that eventually. Trust me, as somebody who's been through it, I can relate to that feeling of even though you're through it, you still have those almost like PTSD fears or like, oh no, this is going to happen, but they're not. And you have to break right. those thought processes. You have to yes. break that pattern so you can embrace the health that you now yes. have. So I get it. So I, 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 we understand. So I started 
doing Psych K. It's a psychology paired with kineology. It's a modality to help. Can you repeat um, that? What is it? Psych K? Yeah. Um, or Psych K. P-S-Y-C-H dash letter K. Okay. Stands for psychology and kineology. So my acupuncturist at the time was a master at Psych K. And she's like, you need to come in and we need to do some body talk. And we need to get rid of those beliefs that aren't serving you because they're sabotaging you and you are getting better. Your tests are proving it. So I went down to my own rabbit hole of my subconscious thinking and my thoughts and my emotions. And I had like victimhood. Uh, my house is tainted. Uh, my house is going to kill me. I mean, like I had all these things in my subconscious mind, even though my conscious mind was saying, dude, you're fine. You don't have mold anymore. Um, I had to, I had to get rid of those and upload your house is clear. Your body's strong enough to withstand the environment. So I rewired so much and I tried to tell the community, I'm like, you guys, can you I, need- so, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but Psych K is a brain yeah. rewiring technique similar to what we hear with Gupta and DNRS. It's, it's something yeah, on those so lines. I, I tried Gupta. I tried DNSRS. I tried EMD, EMDR. None of them did what Psych K did for me because it gets on a cellular level. When you talked, DNSR is kind of like, it helps you um, um, stop a reaction mode or a trigger, but it doesn't necessarily get to the root cause to why you're having the trigger or where is it coming from. So, and then EMDR helps you kind of acknowledge the traumas that took place and try to change the perception, but it doesn't remove it from the subconscious mind or the cellular activity. So when this girl mentioned Psych K, I was like, oh, I'm game. Let's just do it. I've already tried everything. And, the, and it's not, none of those things are working yet. The mold and the Lyme community are bent out of shape over the DNSR program. And they get mad at me when I tell them it didn't work. It didn't work for my daughter because my daughter was struggling with Lyme, anxiety, and mold. So Psych K gave me this opportunity to really do my own inventory. So then when it started, when I started talking to my organs, of which emotions were trapped there, which funguses were still there, what beliefs my mind and my body was still being guided by. Um, I rewired it all. And it was like, oh my God, I became, I became the person I am today. My, my whole um, perception of toxicity and things of what I was able to manage and co-regulate changed. And so I, I, I mean, there's so many miraculous transformational stories out there, people that have done brain rewiring and how it completely there, I'm not reactive to things anymore. I was well, reactive to everything. Psyche, hey, we haven't heard that on this podcast. We've heard about DNRS. We've heard about Gupta. Right. We've heard about it's My Vital Side. We've heard about all of them. But we're, we're- I'm a master facilitator in it um, when it changed my life. And I try to talk about it online, but nobody's heard about it. People don't understand. And I try, you know, I don't want to come in negative and say, well, DNSR doesn't work. It, it works, but I've actually gained clients after eight months of the DNSR program stop working or they say, Oh, I, I relapsed. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't relapse when you actually do brain rewiring. You've, you've literally gotten new pathways, new thoughts, beliefs on a subconscious level, which is the only thing you guys that our cells respond to is our subconscious thoughts, not our conscious thoughts. So it's a knowledge that a lot of the people in the chronic illness, I think are now starting to understand and, and it was hard for me because I had the understanding five years ago and nobody wanted to hear it. It's like, look, guys, we have to work the mind. We have to work the body and the spirit because every consultation I've ever had with a limey, they've all had traumatic 
childhoods or abuse or neglect or abandonment. And these are molecules that eventually turn into cancer cells. But Julie, that's been our experience on this podcast as well. In fact, many of the leading Lyme doctors have indicated that too, where most of their patients, in fact, you know, as, as many as one third of them have had sexual trauma in their lives, yeah. right? So that's not uncommon to see trauma, sexual trauma, assault, et cetera, be a common trait in people with chronic Lyme disease or chronic well, illness. Trauma alone compromises the immune system. Fear compromises the immune system. So you've got, you know, when I go down the rabbit hole with Lyme disease, then they're like, oh, wow yeah, I really, I actually had a really tough childhood and I went through this and this and this. I'm like, well, then you can understand why you're compromised, why you couldn't co-regulate, why there's millions of people walking around with spirit keeps just fine. And well, like I mean, fifteen percent of the world has Lyme disease, right? So right. why are so many of them walking around asymptomatically? And it's a variety uh, of things. Trauma is a big piece of it. I mean, the genetics are is another piece, but trauma is a huge piece of that. I believe. I agree. I I interviewed a lady that does the dark field, and I interviewed why spouse, some spouses don't get Lyme, but the spouse does. I'm like, well, I saw the sparakeets in my husband's blood work and he's fine. What's the difference between me and him? So your husband and your daughter have Lyme disease. They don't, well, my, they, we don't have it anymore. My daughter doesn't have any. Well, they, well, they had spirochetes. They had Lyme disease. Yeah. So, okay. but my husband, he's co-regulating. He, he didn't have any trauma growing up. He never had abuse. He had full support, loving parents, good grades nothing compared to what I went through. And so it makes sense when you talk to someone that has severe Lyme disease, when you go down that rabbit hole, I've never really talked to anybody that has Lyme that didn't have trauma. Yeah. And I think, I do believe eventually that there are other factors because we did have interviewed, you know, geneticists who, who specialize in genetic expression and how they impact people's immune systems. I think that's a component as well. I think there are other, you know, other infections, right? So if you have a, a, a very high pathogen load besides Lyme disease that can tip the scale in chronic okay. illness. So I think there are, are the factors, but we're hitting on the top things here that are resulting in chronic illness, which we call chronic Lyme disease, right? But well, so, let's- so like emotions are vibrational, our thoughts are vibrational and our cells only respond to vibration. So the spirochetes and the pathogens only thrive off toxicity and negative emotion because of the vibration. It matches the negative vibration of the pathogen. So it makes it live longer, thrive. So when I try to talk about it, like you guys, we've got to get rid of everything else that's keeping that negative vibration in the cells or the cell will never push out the parasite. It'll never push out the spirochete because all of that's still feeding it. And I've been hit with, well, what's my trauma have anything to do with my Lyme? What's my emotion or my marriage have anything to do with Lyme? And I'm like, well, but Everything. if Julia, to be fair, there's, there's a steep learning curve there because so many of us, myself included, have been told it's all in our head and we're crazy. And we hear it's trauma. We hear it's, it's relationships. We default back to our defensive mode and saying, it's not in my head, Evangelia, you're wrong. I have a real disease, but we have to accept the fact that yes, it's physical. Yes, there are spirochetes. Yes, we are infected. Yes, we have pathogens, but our emotions are still a very important part of healing. So I think that's where we need to bridge that gap, right? Yes. So when we talk about the spirochete and the lifespan of the spirochete, what feeds the spirochete? What keeps it thriving? uh, Gluten, dairy, sugar, anger, emotions, so uh relationship so then why 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 is the community allowing okay well then let's focus on the spirochete what can kill the spirochete eliminating everything that's feeding it you starve it 
you and supporting your body, supporting your body, supporting your immune system, eliminating the things that allow the bacteria to grow, focusing on the things that put your body into a sympathetic system overdrive yeah. with your nervous system, which then allows you to not be able to heal. So you're hurting yourself, right? So all those things are factors. And, you know, Rich and I are in, in complete agreement with you on that one. But I do want to circle back because, I mean, I, you, it, it's, I love the part of your story about how you made so much progress and amazing gains with mold still in your home right but eventually your husband was able to remediate himself and yep. you were able to at that point work with your naturopathic doctor to get into a sounds like a, some clinic or facility in mexico where you had some more aggressive treatments talk to us about how you found this facility in mexico what the name of it is and what you actually did there once you once you got to the facility and started treating there so that same girl that sent me to the naturopath here in washington um she was basically on her deathbed. She'd been going to Lime Stop for, I think, seven years. And it was keeping her alive, but it wasn't really fully getting her to remission, like really eradicating it all from her, from her body. So she'd hired uh, an American doctor to do um, su um, assisted suicide. She was ready to, to end it. And at that point, I got really emotional and I kind of begged her not to end her life. But at the, at, at the same time, I said, you know what? you do you like, if you're done with this journey, I get it. Like, you know, because it, she's been dealing with it for so many years and she's like, I'm going to give it one more shot. She goes, I love Dr. Jenna. That's the doctor we were seeing in here in Washington. She's like, but I, my husband won't keep paying the bill. Right. Line stop was like, I don't know, $45, $5,000 every four months for her to get treatment. And so she was doing research on stem cells and alternative healing and alternative cures, people that have been cured. And it led her to Dr. Calzada at the Bioadvanced Medical Center. So she, she asked me to go with her. My husband wouldn't let me go. He's like, no way. <laughs> no, it's already crazy. You're doing naturopathic stuff. Going to Mexico is just out of the question. So I let her go so that her journey could prove to me and my husband that this is a safe, legit route for my Lyme disease. So this doctor cured her. I had to watch her go through the ups and downs of the herxing after a week's worth of treatment. How long but, was she sick for, Evangelia? Just, just for context again, she uh, was sick she before was, you, right? She was sick since she was 17 years old. And how old was she when she went there? So time-wise, how long was she sick with Lyme disease for? 41. Okay. So well so over 20 years, she was sick. Yeah. And okay. she'd had heart surgeries and opened her up and scars and everything you could think of. Uh, seizures. Way, I mean, she was way worse than I was. Um, she got herself a little bit better going through line stop and seeing naturopathic doctors, changing her diet, basically doing everything to function. To, um, but then she just got done with that. And that's where I was. I was like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing with this naturopath. I'm not getting better, you know? And so, um, she went to the doctor in Mexico first round. Um, she hurts really bad and questioned, maybe she did something wrong. But then it was like six weeks after that. Oh, my God. She was a whole new person. And then she uh, went back the second time. How, how long was she there the first time for? I'm sorry. You only, so, you, so the treatments are a week, five days of personalized nutritional IV therapy, um, ozone therapy, chelation, nutritional IV, stem cell IV localized stem cell injections where there's the most damage, nerve damage, cartilage loss, brain, blood barrier, the brain. Um, um, there's ozone sauna, foot lymphatic system. So they, they, they formulate 
they do all your blood work. They do a dark field test. They see where you're at, what's your load, what's in your blood, in your cells, how your cells are functioning. And then they put together a protocol for you for that week. So then you, um, you just go in every day. There's hotels that are surrounding the clinic. So you stay in a hotel, walk to the clinic. You get your IV therapy every single day for five days. Then they send you home with a personalized protocol of frequency medicine, homeopathics, oral stem cells, and detox herbs. And it was like going from a counter full of pills and stuff to this tiny little protocol that I had to stay committed to when I got home. And then I had to go back four months later for my second round to see how much of the spirochetes were eradicated, how much further down. So I went from stage four to stage two in four months. Okay, and but then, I'm, I'm going to circle back again. I'm sorry. So with your friend, how long was it with her before she saw progress before your husband four, realized it, can, it was four months? No, uh, about six months. She six started months. stuff and she was feeling better, but she was going every four months for treatment. So she went one time, felt like hell for a month, made it over the hill of the herxing, started to like, her joints were, more, were moving better. She didn't feel as sick. So then, you know, the doctor wanted to come back four months later for another week. She went back, same story with mine. Her load was dropped. Her, the spirochetes part, more than half of her spirochetes were eradicated. So then she went back for the third time, fourth time she was in remission. No more spirochetes, cell was repaired. So I knew I got to do that. Oh my God, this is what I got to do. So you and so, your family saw this, realized it was real, and then you decided to go as well. I just, I realized it was real. My husband didn't still decide, still didn't want me going to Mexico. I almost actually got to, went through a divorce to get the money to go. I was like, I just need to go. If I'm going to be the only one to save my life, he didn't go with me. I went alone. I did all of this alone. So that alone is why I do what I do. I'm trying to be the person that I needed when I was sick with Lyme that I didn't have. Um, and so I like, like her. So now, uh, I'm sorry. So I, I know we're mixing the stories. So now I want to focus on your story. So you went there, you were there for a week. And in the beginning, they used this advanced test right so we hear about Lyme testing all the time you've mentioned this dark field mi microscope right yes. and we've we've heard we've, we've also heard it be called dark field microscopy we've heard that yeah. word before and that's essentially yeah. and and dr alan mcdonald has used it we've had it used here out in southampton hospital back in the day and it was really great testing unfortunately it wasn't lucrative enough for people to carry forward so it's not really used in many places anymore well, but it's it's great that they use it in mexico so but explain to us what that is and why it's such a great test compared to traditional blood tests that we get you know at, at like lab core quest or, or our doctor's because, office because they, it's just you do it there right there with the doctor they just take one little poke of your finger put it under um a mic you know the little disc put it under the microscope they start looking around and then they turn the light off that's the thing. All of our tests were designed to not see spirochetes, not see metals, not see the root cause to why people have illness in our country. So when you turn the dark field on, it, all those man-made things that are killing us glow. So you're looking at a flat screen. The doctor stands up and he's pointing like, a, like, you know, like you're in school with the background. And he's literally, you see yourselves floating around you see all these weird things and all of a sudden he's like there it is and I'm like oh, I finally built my destroyer I was like you I looked at the screen I was like you just met your destroyer like I finally see you 
<laughs> I mean, Julie, I do, you, do you have photos of this? Did they send you home I with like, like stills? Well, those photos are what got me kicked off permanently off TikTok. Well, can you send but us I the photos have, if you're comfortable? I'd love I to have, include them in the show notes of this podcast so people can see them. Guys, I will share the photos. I will share the live video of my- Please do. We'll, we will put the video link and the photo links in the, in the show notes of this podcast. Yeah. Um, and so I literally jumped out of my skin and off the chair. My jewelry fell off and I'm like, hurrah. And the doctor's like, wait a minute. Are you okay? Like, why are you happy? I'm like, I finally know that this is real. I'm like- I saw the alien just running the show inside. Like you see yourself and all of a sudden you see this worm swimming in circles, controlling your entire cell. So you have no control when something has control of your cells. That's what we're made up of. So to think that there's pathogens and aliens, that's why it's like there's a monster inside of me and I can't control it because you can't control a spirochete until you suffocate it, force things in the body that literally the spirochete hates. And that's harmonization. That's chelation and clean food. That's good sounds and vibrations. Like all what, what, you mentioned chelation several times eventually. What, so what kind of chelation did they do at the BioAdvanced Medical Center in Mexico? So, you know, I guess first, if you can define what is chelation and then specifically what did you use to get chelated? If it's all done by IV. Every what, single, what does that mean, chelation, though? What does that term mean? I, I understand that to mean that's getting, it's helping your body remove toxins. So it's an it's aid helping, to remove toxins out of your body. It's not that it just helps remove toxins. It helps get it. it so chelation actually helps um, the organs that create detoxing. So our lymphatic system, it triggers the lymphatic system to open up and start draining. So the doctor personalizes what goes in that IV. Nobody gets the same IV. And that's why I was really glad to hear that the doctor personalizes everything because you hear about clinics, it's like a one size fits all. Oh, I had vitamin C, I had a Myers. It's like, no, not everybody can do a Myers. Not everyone can handle glutathione, but the doctor has all these other alternative things to use instead of glutathione or it's very, whatever that person needs to get their body to get into detox mode. And all of a sudden, you're, they give you the water colonic. There's a colonic that you have done there that gets everything moving. There's the ozone sauna where you're in this sauna that blasts you um, with heat and then steam. So then it pulls out. If you have more gallons, this is a really helpful treatment for more gallons. Have you had more? Have you had that more, more gallons or more gallons? I, I haven't, but I deal with people in the community that have more gallons. And these more, these, those things are met, they're made out of metals. So they're controlled by frequencies and all of that negative stuff. But those drugs, that, that, that ozone sauna, when you're done at the bottom of the water, you see everything because our skin and our, you know, our skin is the biggest portal, biggest organ on the body. So we absorb the most and we can expel the most through our skin. And so he puts you on this beautiful protocol of what your body needs to get it going naturally so that your own body is doing the work so your own body's this is this is helping your body pull the bad stuff out the yes. toxins the, yes. the mycotoxins from mold the heavy all metals of- all the environmentally acquired toxins that you've had yes. throughout your life but what were you so it sounds like the stem cells and other things what were you doing to kill the lime spirochetes right so what i'm more curious also yeah. what specifically i mean obviously ozone i guess will help with that right. but was it what specifically were you doing to kill the bacteria and the pathogens in your body the um the ozone 
of course, when I was there, but the protocol they send you home with, they're like drops. He, he formulates uh, frequency drops to what you need on an energetic level to reverse the, the pathogen's vibration um, so that it can't exist anymore. It, it, it'll just die with, with, with the homeostasis. And then the um, homeopathics personalized um, homeopathics to <clears throat> help my body keep eradicating. They gave me biocidin um, to break the, the, the biofilms, the, right? Uh-huh. Which was, oh my God, that was like death sentence for me was being on that biocide. And I literally was emailing them every day. Like, what the F did you guys give me? I feel worse now than I ever did. Are you guys killing me? Like, what did I just do in Mexico? <laughs> you know. Um, but no, it was like, as soon as I went through, as I call it, you got to get through the fire to get to the other side. You have to be to see that it's not the disease that's hurting and, and making you feel like this. It's your body fighting back saying, I got you. It's going to be shitty, but I know exactly what I need to do for you because God created our bodies to do that. And then you get Lyme and all of a sudden your body doesn't even know what to do anymore. So it sounds like for you, you went for a week, you went home for four months with your home treatment. You went back again, four months later, then, yep. then you went, came home then again, did another four, another four months. And then you went back a second time. And then nine months in is when you reach your mission. Is that correct? Is that, is that so your journey? My, yeah. So when I first went stage four, Four months later, dropped down to stage two. Then they said I was, because I was so sensitive, like so highly sensitive, they were really gentle with my protocol um, what, that they gave me home the first time. And then the second time they sent me a really, really strong protocol to really hit it. They said, Evangelia, you're stage two. This is the best time for us to really get in there and really kill the last percentage of the sparakeets. <clears throat> so I was, I, I was like, I'm game. Give me what you got. Like, I'm, I'm ready. So they know? didn't go too hard at first, though. I think that's an important note, because when you were really, right. really sick, they didn't throw the carpet bomb at you because they nope. knew it would be too much on your system. And that yeah. could make you worse. So they gave you yes. what your body needed, this this, this yes. individualized care. And then when you were towards the end of it, they then gave you like the this nuclear Party. bomb to just get <laughs> rid of whatever's left. Right. Yep. yep. And then four months later, I went back and I was clear. He just looked at me like what he's like your cells look like you were never sick he's like what are you doing when you go home i'm like i'm doing what you told me to do i'm following the protocol i'm keeping my nervous system calm i'm not engaging with toxic people i'm honoring my body with good clean food i'm honoring my mind and and, and just being you know grateful for every single moment that i'm alive and i have this breath and i was reprogramming my entire existence so i was telling myself i was vis i was literally every day once a day for about 40 minutes, I would visualize in meditation a whole other version of what I'd be doing if I wasn't sick anymore. And I'm living that right now. I'm doing everything that I played out in my mind four years ago. It's crazy. I led my body to what I wanted. I wanted to beat it. I wanted to heal. I wanted to be some crazy miraculous story on social media that did these crazy out-of-box treatments because that's what it really actually takes to beat a crazy illness like Lyme disease. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's possible, lot. right? So, so when, when did you when did you make the move? Because we know you moved out of that house and you kind of went off the grid, right? And you're living yep. this really happy, I, healthy life now. Was that after your successful treatment? Yep. When did that occur in your journey here? After I did the treatments and got to remission, I got to remission in 2019. Um, and then... Um, I could actually feel the other things that were toxic and not serving me, um, in my neighborhood, 
um, the, 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 the EMF towers, radiation towers, the cookie cutter neighborhoods really close together. It was just too much for me energetically. And then COVID hit and, and, and lockdowns. And I was just, I told my family, I'm like, this, all of this is extremely toxic for us to be locked into this house, to not be engaging with community, um, to be surrounded by everyone's, you know, rigged stuff. I just was like, let's, let's go live um, the way we love to vacate as a family. Let's go live where we're not being bombarded with toxicity and EMFs and radiation. Like, what do we have to lose? You know, my kids were older. They'd over, we'd already, all of us overcame. My, I mean, every time I went into that old house, it had, it was perfect. But my husband's like, why are we moving? We just did all this work to it. I'm like, there's too many trauma bonds attached to this house. There's too many memories that trigger me of reminding me of the hell we went through, the demonic possession that took place in this house to try to kill us. And now that we're better, now this new world agenda wants to place us as if we're sick when we're not. I mean, they really forced a chronic illness um, lifestyle on healthy people during lockdown. That's what they did. They're like, oh, you're, you're, you're healthy, but we're gonna tell you you're sick and make you live like you're sick. I'm like, oh my God. I'm not bedridden anymore. I have the ability to go anywhere I want. And they're forcing me to live as if I had Lyme again. So you got I better could... in reach remission right at the beginning of COVID, it sounds like. Yep. Yep. I was like, oh my God, I got better for this. <laughs> so, but quick side note, how did you how did you heal your husband and your son? Did they go to Mexico as well? Or did you did you use yeah, other well, means to get them healed? My husband and my son weren't sick. But they, they, you said they had Lyme disease and you were able to eradicate the spirochetes, right? So did you do anything... <laughs> I didn't do anything for them. My son was given a protocol to eradicate whatever. He didn't have it like I did and my daughter did. And I don't, we don't know why, but my, my doctor at the time in Mexico said, well, your son's been on antibiotics his entire life. So it either suppressed or pressed the spirochetes deeper into his tissue or his body co-regulated it. I don't know what the difference is between men and women, except for my doctor's like, well, women's all of the women's stuff is internal. All men's is external. So they get it differently. Their immune systems are different. They can co-regulate different than women can. And I'm like, so there were spirochetes in my, my, in my, in my family, but it wasn't affecting them. Like it was affecting me and my daughter. So my doctor's like, your husband's fine. Just like the millions of other people that have been bit by a tick or have nanoparticles, right? My son had more neurological stuff in his, in the brain. And that was from the vaccines, co-infections. And so he just get, made him an, a protocol of drops and oral stem cells to take once a week. And they, he was good. But he, you but, mean the doctor from Mexico, correct? Yeah. Okay. And did your daughter sounds like was, was more sick like you. Did she go yeah. and actually get treatment on site? What was her plan? She didn't. She came with me, but she, the doctor said she was too young to get IV therapy. So he did everything through her, the, the homeopathic drops got her off of the pharmaceuticals. Um, and she got better. She got better. She got better within six months and she was stage two Lyme. I was stage four. So it took me a little bit longer and I'm older and I had more trauma to get through. She was. And, and it had more time to, to dig and hide in your yeah. tissues, right? And get deeper yeah. into your body. The longer you yes. have it, the deeper it can get intracellular inside your yeah. tissues, your brain, your heart, right? I mean, yeah. so. hundred yeah. so percent. Give us an idea as to, I know we've had you for quite a while. My final question before Rich picks back up is, I just want to have some contrast here. Give us an idea of how sick you were, right? Like one of your sickest moments you can think of. And then one of the amazing things you're doing now that you're in remission and living your dream life. 
So what was devastating for me was having the Parkinson tremors and not being able to cut hair, uh, do cakes, um, not being able to coach my kids' soccer teams anymore. It was my way of life just being derailed and um, just, and then it got even darker when I went down the rabbit hole of the truth about Lyme. But you were bed bound. In addition to, you know, never mind cutting hair. You were bed bound. You were stuck in bed, right? Yeah. So by the time I finally couldn't do anything anymore, I literally was trying to fight it so hard. I'm like, no, I'm going to still do hair. No, I'm still going to do cupcakes. Until my fingers were like, no, you can't. My scissors dropped. Oh, no, you can't. You can't even hold the tip. And I gave up. I was like, okay, I give in. I'm done. Right. Um, until, you know, you go down the rabbit hole and you fin- you find out the truth about it. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let them win. I'm not going to let them take away my love for the beauty industry, my love for servicing people, my love for cupcakes, my love for candles. Like I'm going to, I'm determined to reverse this and being able to take my power back with the coffee enemas and the brain rewiring. It was like, I was, I mean, I, I, maybe I didn't need to go to Mexico. I don't know. I'd already gotten myself to be not bed bound. I got all my left side of my body to work again. Um, Like that to me was, oh my God, I just raised myself from the dead. I had, I'd been living my life out of my bed for five years. I didn't go to my kids' hockey games. I didn't go to their school events anymore. I wasn't driving my car anymore because I couldn't drive. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting in my car and I'm driving. I'm like, you know what? I am going to go to the hockey game. Yes, there's freaking mold in, in all rinks, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let that stop me from seeing my son on the ice and me being a part of my family's life. So it was a lot of me taking my power back going, I got this. Um, holy crap. I have a crazy disease, but how is it that I'm doing? Right. Um, I just really want to help people take their power back and not be a victim to the illness because the minute you become a victim to it, the fear creeps in and you're done. It'll, it'll literally eat you alive. So let's talk now about your transformation, right? How you were transformed by this experience and how the creative in you that had always been there from a young child continued to be a creative, but a, a very different type of creative. It wasn't until I started studying with Dr. Uh, Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza about the brain and the nervous system on like what pushes the body in healing mode, what creates transformation. And that was me spending time with visualizing a whole other version of me. What transformation do I want? What do I want to be doing in the world? And so I literally played it on repeat over and over again in meditation. And I played out episodes like, like moments of in my car, what would I be doing? What would I smell? Who people would I help? I mean, like I went through it. Most people with Lyme go through a dark night of the soul experience. And my, that was mine when I fell to the knees the night I wanted to kill myself and I surrendered everything to God. I'm like, if you're real, if you, there's another purpose for me, then show me that. And I literally dropped to my knees and cried and begged. I was like, I'm willing to sacrifice my marriage, my family, my home, my everything to get out of this suffering. Lead me. I'm like, if if I'm supposed to do be another version of me, what am I doing wrong? And it was, I know this sounds a little crazy, but on a spiritual level, 
I was given insight and visualization of the version I am now. God showed me, uh, no, you're not this broken, sick, abused, addict version of Angelia. I saw a version of me like a warrior with swords and I had people behind me. And I'm like, who, who are these people? And where am I leading them? And it was like, I'm le- you're going to lead them out of their suffering into the light of, of, you know, whatever it was. And so that's what I was motivated to do was to become transformed. So after, all right. So after you had this vision, the, sp- the spiritual experience, you said you then started to have this very clear image of, of the person you were going to become. And you kept focusing on in very specific detail Yep. The outcome that you were seeking to achieve. And then you said that your brain started to bring you there. So talk about that process of having to have a very clear image of the outcome that you were seeking and, and, and being very careful about creating that outcome so that your okay. brain can now work on your behalf and get you there as opposed to working against you and bringing you to places where you didn't want to be. So I started using the psyche modality of how to ignite my visualization skills and how to manifest, how to put that out into the quantum field so that I could eventually, you know, be the version of me that I'm trying to manifest. So I would sit and um, I would think, what would people be saying to me? What would I be hearing people say once I've overcome it? What would I be saying to myself in the mirror once I've overcome it? What would I be doing in my life? okay, well, let's pick out five things I'd be doing. You know, um, I'll be, you know, on the phone coaching people or I'll be hosting retreats. And what does that retreat look like? And then I'd spend a day of just, it was almost like playing with your imagination, but having the belief that this is what's going to happen and this is how it's going to happen. So I would write out the details. What are people saying? What am I saying? How am I feeling? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Um, What am I hearing? And it was like, the more I did it, it was like, oh my God, I became a magnet for it. It was like, I was calling it in, in this quantum. And I was learning this through Dr. Bruce, I'm not Bruce Lipton, Joe Dispenza. I was taking his courses and I was learning how to ignite um, all these sensory things in my body. And then it led me to reading Bruce Lipton, the science behind ourselves and our subconscious mind and how to how to use the subconscious mind in our favor to um, bring the body to healing. So then I started telling myself what I wanted them to do, what I wanted them to hear um, and how I wanted them to feel. Um, and, and like I said, the doctor kept telling me every time I went back, he's like, what are you doing? Your cells are literally transforming in front of my eyes. And, and then I don't know, I don't see this often with Lyme people. He's like, how are you healing so fast? I'm like, I'm telling my cells I'm going to heal. I am healing. I have a whole other version of me waiting for me. Let's go going. <laughs> you know? So um, in, instead, of, instead of your subconscious mind being survival software, it became the tools that serve you. Instead of your emotions hurting you, your emotions yeah. were beginning to serve you and they became tools for healing because yeah. you were able to begin with that very clear image of what the outcome would be. So I took the victim out of my subconscious mind and everything that happened to me wrong and my perceptions that I couldn't, I wasn't worthy and I wasn't all these things. And I replaced them with a cheerleader that was self-empowering nonstop. So I replaced them with, 
you know, all the things that I needed to tell myself to get through it. And that was such a game changer for me that even the doctor in Mexico made me stand up and tell all the Lyme people. And because the clinic's just bombarded with Lyme. All it is is Lyme, sick people from all over the world. And he made me stand up and say, this is a very crucial point in your healing journey because your own thoughts can trip you up. Your own beliefs can keep you stuck. It's like, this is why patients are still coming back. Well, but, but in Evangeline, you, you need to, you need to also have a destination, right? Your, 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 your subconscious mind has to have a destination. And yep. if you're rudderless, if you have no vision, if you have right. no purpose, if you have no uh, perspective on where you're going to be, it's it, one, one of the, one of the uh, folks that I had been, uh, I, I'd been following on a podcast said, look, you can't build a building until you have a plan, right? The architect has to build the plan and has to see it first and right. then you can build it, right? And it's the same right. thing with your life, right? You have yeah. to have this vision or this architectural plan that you first design in your in your in your in your head and and and, and have that vision and then your brain will get you there because your brain is a goal um a goal oriented organ, right? And it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll achieve yeah. the goals hard to get there by yourself in the beginning when you have Lyme brain. It's really hard. So I was working with a facilitator to help me do the muscle testing and she would test me. So then when I got to a place in my journey, when I was well enough, I took all the courses so that I could facilitate it for myself. And then one day I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to do this for the Lyme community. I need to help rewire and reprogram their subconscious victim, the, 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 the one that's sabotaging them to a self-empowered, inspired version and when that gets replaced then i mean i've done it for three years i get to watch victimhood mindset sufferers turn into their own self-empowered healer so one of the things we we learned from your questionnaire is you're you're an um you're an nlp practitioner uh, I, and, I, and so talk to us about about the uh, nlp courses that you had taken and um and how that became a vital element of uh, your healing journey and now the healing journeys of people that you're coaching? So I took, I wanted to take all the certifications I could because the Lyme community wouldn't believe me about Psych K. So I'm like, oh, but you guys know about NLP. So I'll take the NLP practitioner course. <clears throat> I never really fully facilitated it. It was just more for me to have it on the title to get people to work with me. And then I would explain to them um, NLP is a way to kind of take a trauma and the perception of it and any um, attachments that are attached to it to be resolved. But it, I realized that working with highly sensitive people or people with severe, severe illness like Lyme, NLP is very difficult to get them to really, um, when you have Lyme and, and, and chronic illness, the modalities have to be very simple. They have to be not so complex so that you're both on board, the facilitator and the patient. When things are very complicated, when you have a, um, a disease, you want to make it simple so that the person's on board with you and gets an understanding. And NLP got really, really like kind of the DNSR. It got really confusing for people or really hard to maintain. So when I got exposed to Psych K, I was like, that's it. It took five minutes to change a lifelong false belief. Oh my gosh. And I, and I didn't herx from it. The only time I did herx was when I did my core belief system. There's a balance called the core belief where it's 13 vital 
core beliefs that the body needs to be on a positive, positive narrative for the body to be able to heal and transform. And I was sick for a week. I straight up had the flu because my body was detoxing from all the things that wasn't serving me in my mind. Like, ugh, like I got detoxed it out and it was like, my body was hurting and I had to reach out to other facilitators saying, what just happened? Why am I sick? And they're like, Oh, we should be addressing this more. If you've had a chronic illness or a sensitive or had trauma, it's like going through a detox hurts. The body needs to recap, re, re, recalculate. It's going to exist now without these toxic beliefs. That was a, a game changer for me. It was like a tipping point. So I had to offer it to everybody in the line community. I'm like, I will charge you nothing. Please allow me to do this. And it did. It transformed a lot of people's lives. It gave them a kick to their step or it made them realize, oh my God, I can heal. My body's magical. My body's kept me alive this whole time. Right? So really changing that narrative is such a game changer for people. Uh, it was uh, for me. Talk to us about... Um... Talk to us about your future. What is it that you're now envisioning for your future? And what kind of work are you interested in doing with folks in the Lyme community? What I am interested in doing is um, now that I'm finally at the point of my journey, well, I have two large <clears throat> properties off the grid. I know being off grid for people that are highly sensitive and have Lyme disease is very healing. Um, you're less reactive and a lot more can happen for the body. So my goal is to um, have enough units on my property to rent out to people to um, leave their toxic environment, say they want to hit treatments, but their environment has mold, or they're in an abusive relationship. And they, every time they detox, they can't make gain. Well, you know what, you can come here, you can stay here, I'm going to have I have my dry sauna, I'll guide them with the coffee enemas, um, with the foot bath and the mindset work, like for them to just be pulled out of their environment, and put in a safer more harmonious nature-like environment and be given a space of community to be heard, to um, be rewired, detoxed, then, and then sent home with a backpack full of tools so that they can take care of themselves is the goal. Uh, maybe camps, retreat centers. Um, you know, I'm doing one-on-one -on -one retreats now, but I have to get enough money so that um, I call it, I got to make money off the rich so I can give back to the poor and the sick because it's the poor and the sick that I serve that can't afford the treatments that they need. So I'm trying to get creative with products that I make that somehow these people want to buy. They don't want to buy healing services, but for some reason they'll buy candles and like, you know, all this other stuff, or they'll rent my cabin out off the grid as an Airbnb. So I'm going to use it as an Airbnb to make as much money as I can so that I can have a nonprofit and a GoFundMe to give grants out to people to get treatments and housing, safe housing space, trauma work. It just, it's, it goes big. Like I had to do piece by piece. First piece was me. Second piece was environment and what I can do to serve other people. Um, <clears throat> and then it's getting the abundance so that I can facilitate and host more people. <clears throat> well, you've been very generous with your time and, and sharing your beautiful story with us. So let me ask you the final question. We ask everybody on Tick Bootcamp podcast, if God forbid um, your, your daughter who has gone on this terrible journey came to you and, and you found her uh, being bitten by a tick, what would you recommend that she do so she wouldn't have to go on a second chronic Lyme disease journey? Um, we would take the tick if we still had it. 
Um, and we would take it to the naturopath to test it. And I would do body talk on her to acknowledge um, if she did get infected with <clears throat> all the different um, infections that a tick can give you. Um, I've done this before. Friends have reached out to me after a hike and they're like, oh, dude, Evangelia, I, I just got bit by tick. I found it under my cab. What do I do with it? I said, take it out, put it in a bag, leave it, take it to the naturopath and get on antibiotics ASAP. As long as they can get on the antibiotics right in the beginning, they're good to go. That It's like within a month, they're good. But if you didn't know and you found out later, it's like you need to go to a naturopath. You need to get the blood work done. You need to get on an antibiotic and a biofilm buster and start on your own. Open up all your detox pathways. Start starving your body of all gluten, dairy, and sugar. Like there's all of those like frequency sounds. You can type in YouTube frequencies for parasites, frequencies for spirochetes, and it'll give you the, the, the frequency that's needed to reverse it. So I have people listen to frequencies through their TV to reverse the infection or whatever it is. So um, I, I have these links where I put together like a self-health um, support guide through detoxing, lymphatic detox, upper respiratory support, trauma support, emotional support, because, you know, not everybody has money to hire us a Lyme coach, which I wish insurance covered people like me or when I needed my Lyme coach, she was, she was everything for me. If I didn't have her, I wouldn't have had anybody to relate to or listen to me or, or guide me and support me. And, and I did everything I could to, 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 to finance her. And I try to tell people like, guys, we need that one person that knows exactly that's over, overcome it so that they can guide us in the right way. There's too many sick people trying to guide sick people. And that's very scary because it keeps you in a, in a, in a very sick cycle. So um, I wanted to work with someone that had made it through. And I try to encourage Limey's hire a coach that's been through it to motivate, inspire, and guide you to the other version of you so that you're not this broken victim, sick every day. Lyme is very complex. And if we can meet somebody in a community that understands that and that's overcome it, that's what it was for me. And I just, I just want to motivate everyone out there to please seek guidance from the community and people that have overcome it, because you're going to get more support and guidance and truth from a survivor than you will from a doctor. <laughs> All right. Evangelia. Bensel, you have been a wonderful and energetic guest, and uh, we can't thank you enough for taking time away from your family uh, yes. to spend uh, time with us uh, on the Think Boot Camp podcast. Thank you, and I really appreciate you guys and the time you gave me today. I hope it goes viral. <laughs> thank you for listening to our Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Evangelia Fensel. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Evangelia, please check out our website at Evangelia vensel.com. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view our blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of almost 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback with us, please check out our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, 
as always, for listening.